Louisiana is investing more money than any other coastal state in its shoreline and perhaps face some of the biggest challenges in the country. Today, we're going to learn about the goings-ons down here in Louisiana and the Bayou State, also known as the Sportsman's Paradise. Welcome, everybody, to ASPN and the first episode of the Local Control Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the host of the show, and I'm very pleased to have a special guest on the very first show of the Local Control Podcast, Pat Forbes, Executive Director of the Office of Community Development for the State of Louisiana, and I understand the Administrator of the LA Safe Program. Hello, Peter. Uh, Pat, thanks for taking the time, and let me knock out a, a quick bit of business. I want to thank our sponsors on the network these days. The American Shore and Beach Preservation Association's National Conference is coming up in a couple of weeks, October 30th in Galveston, Texas. We're going to be broadcasting from the conference a great collection of professionals from all over the country that deal with shorelines, beaches, and coasts. Attend, register at ASBPA.org. Thanks to our sponsor, ASBPA. Uh, Pat, I I really appreciate you taking the time. I think uh, we are so happy to kick off this show with uh, folks in Louisiana because it is the impression that I have that no other state is as far along in coastal planning and resiliency uh, response strategies from top to bottom. I think the country can learn a lot from Louisiana. Uh, so we're interested in, in what you are going to uh, be able to teach us today. But, Pat, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you hail from and, and how you got into this very difficult business of coastal resiliency? Sure. I'm from Louisiana originally. I grew up in Hammond uh, and uh, went to school here at LSU. I uh, have worked in, in many different fields, but the reason that I am in this line of work now is is Hurricane Katrina. Uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit, of course, we had a uh, everybody pitching in to uh, figure out how do we do the response, how do we do the recovery. And I wound up working in disaster recovery. And uh, as I think you know, the funds for our resilience work come largely from disaster recovery funding sources. Wow. So grew up on the Louisiana coast. How much of the department that you manage, obviously the Office of Community Development does much more than shoreline response, but how much of your effort and how much of your department is dedicated to this notion of coastal resiliency? Well, we're built around uh, disasters, and not all of our disasters are hurricanes Mm. or tropical uh, weather. In 2016, we had two huge floods that that flooded 56 of our 64 parishes in the state. But we also have had uh, five different hurricanes with presidential declarations in the last 13 years. So we do a lot of work in the coast, and most of our greatest risks in Louisiana are coastal, um, not just because we're on the Gulf where hurricanes hit, not just because hurricanes are becoming more frequent and stronger, but because also our coast is sinking. We have a problem called subsidence right. that's caused by the, the deltaic soils sinking. That's happened for thousands of years, but yep. 
the Mississippi River has always replenished the Delta and in fact continued to build it. The whole lower part of Louisiana is built essentially as Delta of the Mississippi River. Right. So after the Great Flood in 1927, uh, the river was levied off so that we could protect places from flooding and protect navigation. And one of the results of that is that we quit replenishing the soils and the sediments to our coast, which has exacerbated the problem. It sped up the right. subsidence. And over the last couple of centuries, these areas were occupied, became important parts of the culture of Louisiana and, and the fisheries and the economy of the state. And it's really gone through a, a tremendous transformation in the last, well, since you say, like since the 20s when when the Corps and the United States invested a bunch of money in flood control down here and really changed the hydraulics of the Delta system down here. Right, right. And, and we continue and will continue to have a huge amount of inter- industry in our coast. More oil and gas is either produced in Louisiana or flows through Louisiana than any other state. Hmm. Second largest fish fishery in the United States behind Alaska and uh, the largest port system in the country. Wow. So we will continue to have folks living and working in the coast, which is why this resilience question is so critical to us and our and our uh, continued success here. Well, I think, you know, I was here at the ASBPA conference in New Orleans. I believe it was in 2016, was here in New Orleans, and and spent a day with a professor from the University of New Orleans talking about the subsidence of the Delta and learning about the problems in the state. And it's really why I think it's such a great uh, opportunity for us to speak with you, uh, because I think Louisiana is, is really contending with this in ways no other state has been forced to or had the proactive capacity to. So thank you again. Uh, when you look at resiliency and, and help help our listeners understand, I know this word is very popular in the coastal management universe that we are all in. Uh, how what what do we what is it trying to do? Uh, what is it and what is LA safe and how does all this fit together in the broad picture? Well, for us, resilience is just the ability to uh, take a shock and come back from that shock and thrive. And so, um, because we have we do have so many uh, natural disasters here. We've got to start building resilience into everything that we do. Hmm. And that's uh, not just building stronger housing or or infrastructure and things like that, although those are important. It's building stronger communities, stronger economies, uh, stronger cultural connections among people in a community. Those are also critical components of a resilient community because folks are looking out for each other and they understand each other's needs and um, that understanding can help people put things back together and get back to work. No question. And of course, the Cajun Navy has got to be a great example of that. We see them showing up in Florida now. They were in Houston. This community-based response capability in in Louisiana is another great part of, well, if we can say if there's a great part of of the Katrina experience, that was one of them. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, 
you've, you've mentioned our leadership in some of these fields so far, and really I attribute the majority of it just to the sheer fact of experience. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we just yeah. have been through this so many times. We have been able to develop the infrastructure around how do we do this right. So we've had more practice. Indeed. Uh, unfortunately, but it, it has resulted in, I think, uh, some pretty creative responses. When you talk about recovering, taking the shock uh, of the hit and then being able to thrive after that, you've mentioned community capacity and buildings and all of that sort of thing. But the Office of, of Community Development is really in this unique position. of not, It's not an engineering exercise for you guys. You're involved in really this community-based part, and that flows out of the broader mission of OCD, doesn't it? Right. That's exactly right. I mean, we, we have a world-leading group of engineers here in the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. Right. And the Water Institute of the Gulf is right. here. Um, and those things do provide us uh, absolutely necessary skills and talents and foresight to do smart things and build smart things and restore our coast. Um but at the same time, we've got people living there. And as I said, we will continue to have people live there. And so it's also about communities and community development and uh, in some cases, unfortunately, community abandonment. Yeah. You know, this, this difference, with, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how L.A. Safe and Louisiana Safe, and I, I, I'm trying to remember now, the strategic... Adaptations (laughs) for a new environment. Thank you. Uh, LA Safe as a program is distinct from what CPRA does, the uh, Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, which is a major force on on the Louisiana coast. Can you walk us through a little bit more about how these pieces are different and how they work together? Sure. The CPRA uh, produces our Coastal Master Plan, which is a updated every five years now. I think it's every uh, four, but um, the Coastal Master Plan is essentially a science-driven decision-making tool about where we're going to invest money and what the impacts of that are that we expect in protecting our coastal communities uh, through both structural Means that is levees and seawalls and things like that, as well as uh, coastal restoration projects, uh, barrier islands, uh, marsh creation, things like that, that help to try to start to put back some of the things that we've lost. Obviously, we have lost uh, thousands of miles, square miles of uh, coast in the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, we've we've got to reverse that trend. The Coastal Master Plan does that. Where we fit into that is to, um, again, help the communities in those coastal zones adapt along with Hmm. this changing environment. The environment is changing by virtue of coastal land loss, but it's also changing by virtue of the work we do in the Coastal Master Plan. We're going to do freshwater and sediment diversions on the Mississippi River. We're building levees and floodgates. And communities, in order to have folks stay where their jobs are, stay where their families have grown up for generations, Mm. uh, we've got to be able to create 
resilience in those communities so those folks can stay and again thrive as as uh, things come at us. I mean, I just I, I got to tell you what I love about this and and the reason why. I, I wanted to, to to have a chance to talk to you is I think what you're doing right there and what you're describing is the crux of what coastal managers and practitioners and professionals around the country grapple with. And it's this integration of the economics, the lifestyle, the community history, and what we ask these coastal areas to produce for us. We want them to be the biggest waterways and transportation networks that we can build. We want it to be the biggest fishery it can be. We want it to sustain communities. And looking at the coast in isolated packets of, let's say, container efficiency, transportation, irregardless of communities or fisheries, is no longer workable. And there are very few coastal professionals that are in the position of having to juggle all of the balls that you guys have to handle because it's exactly, I think, what you just said. It's, it's the character, the community, the, the, eco, the economy, the natural resource base, the transportation base, and, and then the projects that you're going to be constructing here through the CPRA, the, the Coastal Master Plan, are going to replumb and change these environments. And this adaptation job, that would keep me up at night. That is a big job to do. It is. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, I was looking at the site before the interview um, about, I guess there's a, a million acres are projected to be lost on the Louisiana coast in the next 50 years. Uh, the total population is almost a million of the coastal population in Louisiana that's in the affected area. These are tremendous communities, tremendous numbers, um, what a challenge you guys face in trying to come up with strategies to, to tackle this problem. It is, and you really can't, I think that is the key to sort of making a segue to the LA Safe process. Uh, that is a key to the importance of LA Safe in the approach. Okay. Is that we can think up the smartest and most cost-effective things to go do in the coast to build land and to prevent land loss and to protect communities with walls and things like that. But if we do that absent input from the folks who live there, mm -hmm. we're probably not going to get it just right. Correct. And what LA Safe does is what it is more than anything that we are, yes, going to build some projects, but more than anything, it is a process for approaching the folks who live in the place yeah. so we can understand what is your perspective on what's the best way to make us resilient here right. in this community. What are the things that are critical to you to have continued success here living in the coast? Wow. Well, it's the community buy-in aspect. And having worked with coastal communities and trying to bring projects together, I couldn't agree with you more. It's absolutely essential. You can't, you can't be successful without it. I have to say it goes beyond buy-in in that it is a uh, community-driven planning process. Okay. We didn't come up with a plan and then go present it to them and, and sell say, it what to do them. you think? Right. right. We said, what do you think are the critical pieces of a resilience plan for your community? And then we, we work from there. Okay. And so how much, when you, when you approach a community, there's an understanding that there is a problem to be discussed. 
you can go problem in hand and say, folks, we, this is what we're noticing. This is what we're seeing. We think we need to come up with something here. When you start the process, when you introduce yourselves to the community and arrive, um, how much of the problem is understood and how much of the process you go through is about educating them about, can you see the changes? Do they see it? Do they know it? I suspect that they do. They, they live there. Yeah. <laughs> they know what's up. Yeah, people living in coastal Louisiana understand what we're facing. Uh, many people to my new levels of engineering and biology detail. Mm-hmm. I mean, folks, when they see their home going away, yeah. they become educated about it. I yeah, mean, There are certainly folks in the state who maybe don't have super clear grasp of what's going on, but most people understand quite well that, that we have a, a, a huge loss of beneficial land in our state and that we've got to do something about it. Yeah. No doubt. And I think the trends are not particularly encouraging. Um, How does the issue of climate change resonate in Louisiana? Uh, Some states, it's a little a little bit of a a phrase you don't like to hear uh, in the political universe. Uh, How how does that particular issue? What's the receptivity or the level of understanding of that being a factor? And does it matter if that's a factor, I guess, is even a better question. It doesn't matter. I don't think anybody um, in coastal Louisiana doubts the existence of relative sea level rise, which is the rate at which water is covering up our coast. Yeah. Because the people who live there have watched it, just like me. So um, nobody disputes relative sea level rise, which is the yeah. demon that we fight. So Correct. people can argue the, the, the cause, the causes of it. That's yeah. right. And we think that there are multiple causes. Yeah. Um, but uh, the fact that it exists, I don't think is, is uh, questioned much in South Louisiana now. I mean, I think it's partly here that, that, as you were talking about earlier, it's the extent to which subsidence and it's the natural compression of deltitic soils that is happening. It's happened forever. Um, as you said, it's, it's really the, 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 the loss of the replacement sediment over the last almost 100 years that's really changed the ballgame in Louisiana, maybe more than, than climate-based sea level change, I would think, in I, Louisiana. I have no idea which. Certainly those are both factors. We've got a, we have sea level rising. We have subsidence. We have uh, stronger storms. Mm-hmm. We have more storms. We have saltwater intrusion from oil and gas right. connect fields. Right. Um, there are multiple, multiple causes and uh, what I think the Coastal Master Plan does a good job of doing is uh, picking projects and funding projects and designing projects that help rebuild the coast regardless yeah. of cause. Regardless of the cause. As long cost. as we understand those causes. We, we have great modeling about uh, where we expect the 100-year floodplain to be 50 years from now for, right. to help us manage risk when thinking about resilience that's one of the most important things we have to do we've also got great models on how much we expect the soil to subside how much we expect sea level to rise of course there are organizations all over the world helping us understand that 
Yeah. And so factoring all those things in, then the coastal master plan can look at those and come up with plans. Well, what I like about what Louisiana is doing here is this bifurcation of the technical side and the engineering side and the project management, which is a massive undertaking in any state with a big coastline, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, or up the eastern seaboard. Um, and then this focus on the community side of it and the human side of it and having a dedicated group of people with a budget and with staff that can really tackle the more complex, which I think is the more difficult, uh, actually, problem, which is how do you how do you work to protect these communities in the, in the history and the culture and the economic value that they provide to mm-hmm. the state? I, we, we very much think of it as a, as a team effort. We work very, very closely with CPRA. Mm-hmm. As I said, we, the, we get our uh, risk uh, model data from them. We work closely with them on what their projects are. They work closely with us with work they've done in the past with communities, getting to okay. understand communities' needs. So we, we work very much hand-in-hand. Hand. They are different skill sets. They're uh, uh, different uh, types of people who do that. Certainly you need somebody with that focus, yeah. which we do have. Um, and again, whether fortunately or unfortunately, we got these funds available to us because of we were uh, hit by Hurricane Isaac in 2012. Right. Yeah. And so we had these funds available to us to to go out and do some model projects, some, uh, some testing, if you will, mm-hmm. so that we can figure out how to do this well. Great. And, and I think that is a great segue to the, to the notion of funding, because I think it sounds like yeah, I read Hurricane Isaac was a, was a, a, an origin of the program. Of course, Katrina and 250 miles to the east this week, we just had uh, Hurricane Michael, which was a devastating impact in the Florida Panhandle. These storms are starting to transform the governmental structures and spending priorities on the American shoreline. And I think you guys are probably front and center and the first to the party in terms of different ways to attack the problem. Um, can you tell us about the about the department and LA Safe in the in the in the funding which underlies the effort that you guys are trying to carry out. Sure. So um, what HUD did was uh, that all the disasters from 2011, 12, 13 were included in the same appropriation of funds, and so that was Sandy, but it was a lot of other mm-hmm. some 67 other entities who had disasters over that period including Louisiana with Hurricane Isaac. And so at the end, they said, look, we have a billion dollars that we want to put out competitively for people who can demonstrate resilience projects for us. Okay. Certainly everybody put something in, 67 different applications for that funding. They wound up funding 13 of those. Wow. Uh, state of Louisiana got 92 million. Uh, city of New Orleans got 141 million mm-hmm. for their urban water plan implementation. Wow! Um, uh, another great resilience project. Um, but yeah, so we've got money to do two things: one, resettle the community of Illusion Charles from the coast where it sits now and is sinking and where the folks have quite some time ago recognized that 
they cannot be viable in that location for a whole lot longer. Wow. And then to the LA safe, uh, planning approach okay. to helping folks, uh, uh, figure out how to be resilient in the coast. Right. Build some capacity, maybe make this a little less problematic in the future. Right. Maybe make it a little bit better. Um, is the state an independent contributor? Does the Louisiana legislature uh, help fund LA Safe, or are you on the HUD ticket, on the HUD dime, it primarily is, right now? It, it is primarily on the HUD dime. Some of the projects uh, we certainly try to leverage other right. funds. LA Safe's uh, selection criteria included points for leveraging funds. Uh, the Ile de Jean Charles resettlement. We are certainly looking at ways to have public-private partnerships to make that a, a successful project for everybody. Well, before we jump into the bureaucracy of all of this, I really do want to uh, talk about this Ile de Jean Charles relocation. Tell us about the community. What is it that you you expect to try to do here? How is this project going? What, this is very uh, very interesting. Uh, sure. Issue. So, it is a, a community of predominantly Native American uh, folks who have lived there for mm. generations. They moved to this island out in the marsh uh, to, to get away from, from the prospect of being sent to Oklahoma or a reservation in the West. Wow. And so uh, they're very, very attached to the island, and it's a beautiful place but it has shrunk to 2% of its original size. Man. And the population has shrunk from somewhere upwards of 400 to less than 100. Wow. Uh, and so, and, and it is surrounded by water now. There's one road in and out. It's very difficult to get your kids back and forth to school. When the wind blows mm. the wrong direction, the road's flooded, people can't get to work, people can't get to the doctor. Uh, and it's a, it's a tenuous living situation. They hate to leave. Almost everybody to a person will tell you they don't want to leave the island, but they right. know that it's almost inevitable. So hmm. our, our job is to get them to a new, safer community, but to do that in a way that can somehow preserve that culture from this community right? and even enhance it. They've had so many people leave yeah. in the last 30 or 40 years. What we really want to do is build a community that's upland, that's safe from flooding, that folks can start to repopulate yeah. the new Ile de Jean Charles and rebuild and strengthen that mm. that uh, culture and that sense of community. That is a big job uh, it because is. it involves something very special, which is people's sense of place and community and the history. I would imagine they've been there for 150 years or yeah. so. It goes back yeah. to the middle 1800s probably. Um, where does that project stand now? How is the discussion going between LA Safe and the community? Uh, how do you feel about it? We have an ongoing conversation with them. We have a steering committee where we meet uh, monthly and go over where we are in the design process. They give us their their input on not only the macro design, but what are the house is going to look like. What is wow. the, the details, the harder parts are the structure. How do we use federal funds? to get people from here to yeah. here, get them in a new house. What's the ownership structure? There's always um, 
always, always in disaster recovery, there are folks with titles that aren't necessarily yeah, clean and yeah. So um, right, all those things are really some of the harder work of it. But we've got a place picked out. We have the option to buy it. We're just about through with the environmental review. We're about to close on the land deal. We are by the end of this year going to be at thirty-five percent horizontal design, fifteen percent vertical design. We expect to start building sometime next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, so that's where we are. You know, it it matters to talk about it because this is not unique to Louisiana. I mean, up in Alaska, the indigenous communities that are on Absolutely. the Bering Sea, there's a there's the change in the sea ice yeah. patterns or exposing shorelines to wave attack and communities are being lost up there and it happens on the barrier islands around the united states uh you know americans are a persistent group we don't leave easily um and uh, i i was just you know reading in the paper about hurricane michael uh in mexico beach and the interview the place is devastated they've lost more than 50 percent of the shorefront structures and like most coastal americans they say what do you think and he's like we're gonna fix it we are not leaving. This is where we live. This is our home. And I imagine that connection and intensity is is one of the reasons that you guys work so hard at the community level to, to execute this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that same sort of uh, tenacity and desire to stay, that, that connection to place, is what makes building resilience in so critical right. because... If folks are going to stay, we got to yeah. stay strong. We got to be have smarter, robust. better. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. got to be able to take it and then come back tomorrow and be running again. Man, what a job! Um, so when you when you look at it, I think the the phrase that jumped out at me when you were talking about this particular issue is that it's almost inevitable that. That notion that the community has seen it, felt it, understands it, that sense of inevitability, I think, is one of the most powerful forces in in coastal management that I've come across. Um, it, it tends to take very complex issues and make them manageable because folks at some point recognize we really are running out of options. We have no choice. And it forces the issue in a constructive way. It's a It's a tragedy that these things are true, but... This sense of inevitability is is going to be experienced, and I wish I wish we could all, as a society and, and, and government people and as policymakers, could get ahead of the inevitable. But it's very very difficult to do that in public policy. It almost has to take this moment of inevitability. And what is your thought on that? Why is it that we have to wait until it is? You know, we're. <laughs> do you want to take a shot at that? I, it's a very philosophical question, but I, I always vested, wonder. People are vested in their place, and that's a hard place yeah. to get to get knocked off from, right? I mean, yeah. these folks in Ile de Jean Charles have been watching this occur for a long time, and there are still folks who live there. This is a voluntary program. Yeah. And there are folks that we're working with who say, I'm not going anywhere. No, right. thank you. I'll just die here. I'm happy to That's be here. Right. I'll... And I can't blame them at all. Yeah. They've grown up there. Their parents were there. Their grandparents were there. Yeah. I'm going to stay here until I can't. I'm yeah. not going to do something proactive. And so yeah. I understand that and, and I appreciate it. But it's important to note that the, the inevitable, what's inevitable for that community is that it 
it's not going to be viable for very long and that the folks need mm-hmm. to leave. There are other inevitabilities and other scenarios wherein the community doesn't necessarily have to relocate, but it's inevitable that they're going to yeah. have more storms. They're going to have more flood days. And so how do they build a community and build the infrastructure out in such a way that those things are not so disruptive? Right. And and it really is about the investment in better built houses, better, you know, higher building standards, shoreline management programs, either beach restoration or march restoration or barrier islands and all of this. And this is one of the questions I think on that we're interested on on the American Shoreline Podcast Network is what that does, I think, over time, at least in my experience, having worked with communities to put money together to, to really make the investments. What we're talking about here are substantial investments of yep. dollars. And I don't know if we fully appreciate the socioeconomic transformation that that does to the American shoreline. It changes the cost structure and access. And we all know what uh, what good, well-built coastal houses look like. One of the ones that survived in Mexico Beach was a mm-hmm. guy who built, it cost him, I think he said, $40,000 to really build that house properly. We change who lives there. And I know this is uh, not really within the purview of the kinds of you know decision-making that we are asked to do or that you have to do in your program, but do you see that issue come up in the work that you're doing, that there's an economic dislocation that it's, can occur it's, here. It's part and parcel to our work. Is Community it? Community development uh, through HUD and CDBG requires the majority of your funds be spent to the primary benefit of low to moderate income folks. Right. We also know from all the disasters we've had since 2005 that low income folks tend to be more impacted. They live right. in the lower-lying areas. Yep. They tend to flood more often. True. Um, we also know that as we have this working coast of fishermen and oil and gas workers yep. and people who work at ports, that we're going to continue to have working class and, and lower middle class folks living in the coast. And so how do we make that community right. resilient. We can't price them out because they okay. are the workforce of the American shoreline. They're the reason for us yeah. to build this resilience in. That's great. I completely understand that. That's really good to think about it that way. Uh, so when you're looking at LA Safe and 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 I, I understand you've gone through a project selection process, a very intensive public engagement process. You've come up with six projects. You've got uh, and I so I want to talk about where the program is overall. It seems like you're moving ahead. Key projects are being developed and getting ready to be implemented. Uh, can you tell us about your project selections and and how, are you pretty happy with how it turned out? Oh, absolutely. We we uh, had objective criteria. One of which I just mentioned: low to moderate income benefit. They all have primary benefit to yeah. the LMI community. Um, but also things like other funds uh, available to, to be leveraged, uh, things like the objective and subjective value to the community and hmm. its resilience. We had wow. to somehow measure the importance of this project in the context of the risks that the community 
faces. How um, did you How did you do that? That sounds well, tricky. Um, <laughs> we had to look at what are the primary risks in a community. Right. Mental health, uh, flooding, um, unemployment, you know, they're all over the map. Yeah. And then what are the things that might best address those those types of challenges to resilience? And so uh, we funded uh, several projects that are demonstration projects for how to reduce flooding by creating uh, storage and mm-hmm. and different building techniques, green wow. building techniques, things that we can do to reduce flooding in an area just by holding water, capturing wow. and holding water for a while. Um, we've got a project for uh, mental health, expanding a mental health care program. We have discovered since Katrina and Rita that uh, behavioral health issues go through the roof after major disasters. Yeah. And the, the funding for the support rarely does. So yeah. we're expanding program there. Uh, we're doing a buyout program. We have a, there's a, a levy project in South Central Louisiana called Morganza to the Gulf that's going to protect most of the communities in coastal Louisiana, but there's one community outside where there are some folks and their primary residence is yeah. out there. So we're going to buy, offer at least to buy them out and let them go get a, a safer Right. Place to live. Um, a business incubator. Yeah. Uh, for uh, creating economic resilience through entrepreneurship and job training in fields that are particularly relevant in South Louisiana. Hmm. Water management fields, oil and gas, things, oil and gas to a lesser extent because there's plenty of training out there already, but. Louisiana is starting to be an exporter of expertise hmm. in water management. I uh, would think. Sciences <laughs> and construction techniques right. and things like that. So training folks to do things like that. Um, one thing that we haven't really talked about here is part of LA Safe. it is a risk-based program. And it says there's super high risk, there's sort of medium risk. And then there's very low-risk areas in the state, of course. Okay. We have to recognize that there will be coastal migration away from the coast as the sea level rises. And we've got to receive those people somewhere. And that has happened unorganized in the past. And Hmm. it has caused huge problems for infrastructure, overcrowding, things like that when the receiving communities were not prepared. And Everything so, from schools to sewage treatment plants water, to police, drinking, water, drinking right. water, all of that basic infrastructure for population. That's right. Man, that's a lot. And so the, uh, this off-migration of the coast, I also think this is happening more in Louisiana than it is, let's say, on the Carolina coast. Uh, the, it, there are examples of it in, in Texas, the Bolivar mm-hmm. Peninsula buyouts after Hurricane Ike. We're pretty substantial, but what we've also seen in those areas is an increase in property values and bigger, more expensive development in the same risk zone. Uh, it's such a puzzle, the American shoreline, how this works as you people migrate inland. I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see how that works in Louisiana, how you prepare communities to do it. It is it seems sensible, and this is a case where I'd say 
it seems inevitable to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But there's this other direction that we seem to go in at the same damn time where we keep putting more expensive, denser mm-hmm. development in risk areas. And right. it's tough in the government business to try to get a handle on that problem. It is. So in Plaquemines Parish, which is the, the toe of the boot, if you will, mm-hmm. the River Delta runs down through Plaquemines Parish. Post-Katrina, uh, they had a huge migration up to Bell Chase, which is a northern end of the parish, surrounded by an hmm. Army Corps of Engineers certified levy. Okay. And uh, so their population has definitely shifted north in response huh. to the storm and the risks associated with living uh, unprotected, essentially. Does that, does that movement bring the state into play in terms of acquisition of conservation easements or other property interests that that sort of make that transition or relocation more permanent? Or do those properties remain in, in the marketplace? When you use federal funds to get somebody to a safer place, you have to uh, set the, the place that you have, elim- you have yeah, to eliminate. Take it, it off the, the market. Yeah. So they can't get, yeah. And which I think in the net effect, of course, is what you're looking for, which is that we don't create the same problem a second time. Exactly. Um, um, The way that Safe is working now, it sounds, I'm amazed at the spectrum of projects that you do. In in the coastal businesses and in consulting and I've worked in, we're always talking about shoreline restoration and beach and dune restoration and marsh restoration. Those are the kind of things mm-hmm. people think about when they think about resiliency. But you get to Louisiana and you see projects, as you're saying, on mental health care, substance abuse treatment, trails, housing prototypes, a completely different spectrum. And all of this goes back to that community resiliency that you're talking about. This is something people don't think about, I don't think. Right, so we have the advantage of having the CPRA here and the Coastal Master Plan. Yep. They are the science they experts. We're, we didn't want to make qualitative decisions about the value of, say, should a levy be here or right. would marsh restoration right. make sense here because they do that. They're the experts. Yep. We rely on them, and they're out there doing it. Our, we, we purposely turned towards non-structuration, right. non-structural. Non-engineering right. approaches to, the, to resiliency. Right. So I know you've got to run and we're coming to the end, but do you think, uh, do you think looking down the road that the efforts that you're making can really make a difference? And are you, are you an optimist about the Louisiana coast or uh, are, you, are, you, are you discouraged day to day? <laughs> Uh, that you way. can be discouraged day to day and still be an optimist, which I would think would describe me. I am I am optimistic. I just got back from a trip to Holland, looking mm. at their approach to sea level rise, and uh, and I'm encouraged by that. I'm super encouraged by all the work done here in Louisiana to start to figure this out, but also around the country. Um, and yeah, I'm optimistic that we will figure out a way to do this. And it's going to take a lot of work by everybody involved. But um, by necessity, we're going to have to figure out how to do it. And so that's why I think, yes, we're making a difference with LA Safe, not because the $92 million we're going to spend is going to make a huge dent in uh, 
directly into the effects of our land loss here. But what we do expect it to do is create a model that both we and others can use. Right. At least, I mean, we're not going to get any of these things perfectly, but the next person who comes along, right. whether it's South Carolina or Texas or Florida, to do that thing, they will at least learn from our mistakes, yep. do it better, and we'll all continue to learn from each other's work. And yes, we'll we'll get this figured out. Thank you so much, Pat. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy and I, and I really look forward to, I hope there's a chance maybe in a year or six months we can talk to you again and, and really learn how the project is unfolding. I think it's a great example of uh, innovative thinking on the American shoreline. I really want to thank you for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it.